discipleship a little bit this morning and share some thoughts, certainly not in these three areas of, of discipleship, prayer, and outreach, we could spend, in fact, that's what we do, really, those three things are what it's all about, so we're going to spend a little time this morning. I hope I can communicate some of the things on my heart, our heart, and I trust the Lord's heart with you this morning. So in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, many of you are very familiar with this, you've heard it, we're going to look at it today along with Acts 1, 7, and 8. So Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So let's pray. Lord, we love your word, and we appreciate all that it means to us. You said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus, you said, you did not come, you came to fulfill the law, and you did it perfectly. And thus, Lord, we look to you as the lawgiver, the law fulfiller, and the one who will do the things in our lives that will be impossible, except by your spirit and your salvation, and our surrendering our lives to you, then you can take us and make us fishers of men. And Lord, that's what we want. We want to be about your business. We want our lives to count for eternity. We don't want to get to heaven and realize we had our ladder up against the wrong wall. We want to be climbing and endeavoring to really give our lives to you so that you can make us disciples, fishers of men. And to that end, Lord, my prayer is for us as a church, that we would not be playing church, not just having programs, but Lord, you would lead us by your spirit. As you said, you will build your church. So build, I pray, Calvary Chapel South on the foundation of your truth, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and with your people that you bring here, that we would be endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit, we'd be walking in the spirit, we'd be growing up in all things into you who are the head, that you can do what you wanna do, that every member is doing its share, that together, Lord, we are working and laboring and doing the things that are gonna matter. People's lives transformed, saved, and sanctified. And we thank you, Lord, again, for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, that it's your, your, we're your workmanship. You've given us work that, we should pre that you've prepared beforehand that we should walk in it. So as we look at our vision here in mission, Lord, all that really foundationally and centrally is you. We glorify you right now. We lift your name on high. We say, Jesus, we are yours. We want to walk and follow you with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. We want to see the fruit of our endeavors. So Lord, hear our prayers. Bless your word. Break it fresh to us this morning, Lord. We're hungry and we're, we, we, we just want to know you more fully. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> so they give me some things we'll put on the screen. Uh, there are a few things here, and I, I may hit some, I may not, uh, because there's many things, but my hope is, particularly if you're note takers, that, you'll get, that we can gain a little bit of a pulse this morning on what we feel is on our hearts from the Lord for our church moving forward now. We've gone through a lot of changes. Uh, we are, I mean, we want to be changing according to the Holy Spirit, not just for the sake of change. Can you hear an amen? And I believe the Lord is taking us through some, some times here. We, last week, as you know, was Joe's last week. That was a bittersweet. Uh, he's been with us, had been with us for eight years. Uh, Trudy felt the Lord calling her to step down. We, and good things happening, but change is always a little, little difficult, a little bittersweet at times. And I'm so thankful for what the Lord is doing and what he's been doing. And we've been praying for a couple years just through some, some, uh, some of the things that really make us who we are as well as forwarding us into who the Lord wants us to be as a church, which is we want to be unified. We want to be led by the Spirit. We want to be, we want to be fruitful. We want to have here what the Lord has for us here. And uh, as best as we can, fulfill his his desire for Calvary Chapel South. So our mission, which would be our ongoing purpose, as you go out our door, you'll see three words. Engage the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Now, that's our first commandment. And by the way, if you've known the Lord for one week, you can engage the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you've known him, for one, known him for one day, you can engage the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you hear an amen? And you who, are, who know the Lord for one week are five or six days ahead of someone who just got, no, got to know the Lord. So you can actually disciple them. And so this, this commissioning, this commandment from the Lord is for all believers. We have given a commandment to go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, baptizing, teaching, and Jesus said he is with us to the end. So that's what, this is what that means to me. He is with us to the end. That's profound, isn't it? What that means, at least in part, is that when we get to the end, it's Jesus who we are accountable to. He's the one that matters. So if we can keep, just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we'll be doing fine, okay? The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is to keep our eyes on Jesus. And that really, so our, our mission is to engage the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's to equip the church to make disciples of Jesus Christ, which is where we'll focus this morning. And then it's to enrich the community with the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. So as you go out our doors, you're going into the mission field. You're going into the world in which we've been commanded and commissioned to make disciples. Now, I'm, I'm going to get off my notes here a little bit. I'll, I'll come on it later, but I'm going to give it to you now. Discipleship does not begin when someone is saved. Did you know that? In other words... Discipleship begins before someone is saved with the preaching of the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So the first part of the commandment is that we are to be preaching the gospel to those who are not a part of the family of God. They are dead in trespasses and sin. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So as we preach the gospel, I'm so thankful for this. It is not our job to save people. It is our job to disciple them. Discipleship begins with the gospel. It begins before someone is saved. Now, once they are saved, now you have the stage of infancy. You have infant Christians. And then you have young adults. And then you have the adult stage of Christianity. And so we want to be working, understanding that the first commission we have is to preach the gospel, and that is to the people who do not know the Lord. It's outside our walls here. It's to your friends. It's to your family. It might be to strangers on the street. Now, how do you preach the gospel? Someone said preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. In other words, your life is a light that cannot be hidden, or at least it should be. And your responsibility and my responsibility is to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Our lives are to be lived in such a way that people are attracted. So when you fish, you're putting bait on the hook to attract the fish. Well, discipleship and making disciples has a necessary component of understanding that people are drawn to Jesus through our testimony, our lives. We are, in a sense, the bait. Our vision points, if I might put them that way, our vista, our outlook, our panorama is our mountain is discipleship. That's the challenge. That's the summiting. So as we summit that mountain together, we need a team that's working together to get us up there. Our oxygen is prayer. <laughs> I am so thankful for our prayer groups that we have in the church. I've talked about this before, but I tell you, when I talk about prayer and I look at what the Lord's done and what he's doing, I go, thank you, Lord, that we have a centrality of people who pray and pray and pray for our church. Pastor Chuck Smith, who started Calvary Chapels, he used to ask us, when you sit down to your meal, would you just pray, Lord, please bless Calvary Chapel South? We have prayer meetings. I've, I think, I can't remember what I share with you, so if, if I'm redundant, oh well. <laughs> but I've asked over the last two, three weeks, people that I've met that don't come here and go to churches, 
One of them, a very large church. And I said, do you have a prayer meeting? They don't have a prayer meeting. And I just thought, Lord, thank you. We have prayer meetings. So our oxygen, what's going to give us the, the needed air, if you will, to continue to summit is prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Now, he didn't stop there. For what? All nations. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You see, you might think, well, I can't decide. I'm not called to be a missionary. You know, but you can pray. You can go into that prayer meeting, and you can pray for people in Uganda. You can pray for people wherever it might be. And my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. We're sending a team to Iraq. They need our prayers. We're sending a team to Uganda. They need our prayers. Our oxygen is prayer. And we'll talk about that next week, and I can't wait. Now, our boots is outreach. I call them our gospel boots. Paul said, having your feet shod, Ephesians chapter 6, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, any soldier, that's in a battle sense, any soldier never goes into battle without his gospel shoes on. In other words, that's, what, that's how we walk through enemy territory. That's what protects our walk with the Lord. I don't know if you've ever thought of that, but, of that before, but as you preach the gospel, if you have your gospel shoes on, and that might be being preached without words, it might be being preached by doing good works, however that is, your walk through this world, your protection as you walk through the, through the, through the enemy territory is the gospel shoes on your feet, ready to go. Our boots is outreach. There are many ways that we're already doing that, and I believe many that the Lord has yet to, to show us. So what's the definition of a disciple? Turn to Mark chapter 1, verse uh, 16. Mark 1, 16. Here we have a simple definition of what a disciple is. Jesus, as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, Mark, excuse me, 1, 16, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Three things. Follow me. A disciple follows Jesus without compromise. Now, we're going to talk a little, little, some little difficult passages here. But I think it's necessary when we talk about being a disciple because disciples make disciples that make disciples. So if you are not a disciple, you're not going to make disciples. It's a multiplication thing that happens. So disciples make disciples that make disciples. So Jesus said, follow me. A disciple follows Jesus without compromise. Secondly, Jesus said, I will make you become A disciple knows that Jesus will change his or her life. And I love it. He said to to these guys, I'll make you fishers of men. He's speaking their language. Jesus speaks our language. I'm going to take you for who you are, and I'm going to change your life, and you're going to understand it, and it's going to to be uh, connected to how I've made you and what I've given you. And then he says, fishers of men. The third thing about a disciple, not only do they follow without compromise, they know that Jesus will change their lives, but then they know they go to catch people for Jesus every chance they get. How many of you like to fish? Here's what I wrote. I don't know if there's any other kind of fisherman except an avid fisherman. Anyone I talk to, either they love fishing or they hate fishing. I don't like to fish. It's boring to me. The fishermen are going, what? I totally don't like to fish. For fish, because I don't like fish. I don't eat them. To me, it's a waste of my time. You got to handle the thing, and you you don't want to get stuck with the fin, you know, and just not interested. And I've tried it. But let me tell you something. There's nothing more exciting than when I share the gospel with someone, I spend time with someone, and I see God lighting up their lives. I see them wanting more. 
I've also seen them walk away somewhat mad. But see, that's a good thing. Saul of Tarsus was so mad when Jesus met him. Oftentimes when someone is really, really reacting to the gospels because God's at work and they don't even know it. And it's slow, you can, they can walk away mad and say, ha, ah, he's going to get you. And there it is. I will make you become fishers of men. We want to go out and catch people. We want to go out and see them attracted to God. See their hearts change. See their desires come sort of surface, if you will, out of the water. Oh, there it is. Nothing more exciting than that. Could you hear it? Can I hear an amen on that? That's what we're talking about here. He speaks our language, but you see, the world does not speak our language. So as we understand these things more and more, we go, why can't you see it? And thus, we're fishing. We're throwing it out there, saying, okay, let me talk to you about this or that or this or the other thing. And all of a sudden, you see a light, little light come on. You know, one of my prayers often for people that are really walking in darkness, as Paul told the Corinthians, the God of this age, Satan has blinded the eyes of the unbeliever lest they should see the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. So God, people are walking around in darkness. They're spiritually blind. So what I pray is, Lord, could you just for like five seconds just sort of shine a little light and give them a little thought? Hey, we're fishing. Just something that all of a sudden, they think, and, or maybe, they, maybe a thought is, you know, where is my life going? And then they're right back to their busyness. But just those kinds of bait, if you will, by the Holy Spirit, through what I might say, what I might be doing, what you might say, what you might be doing, we're fishing for men. Now, Jesus now in Luke chapter 14, if you will turn there. Oh, before I forget this quote, this is a great one. The church is called to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. In other words, every Christian is commanded to participate in the mission to make disciples. Isn't that a great quote? One person at a time. I want to talk at the end a little bit about your sphere of influence. You've been given by God a sphere of influence in which you yourself can fish for men. You yourself can make disciples. So in the gospel according to Luke, it says in verse uh, 25 of chapter 14, now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, so first of all, as the crowds followed Jesus, no doubt enthralled by him, feeling connected to him, marveling to see him work, straining to hear him speak, but Jesus, listen, was never impressed by crowds. So he turned to the multitude. How we are so easily impressed with numbers. That is not discipleship. We are so easily moved by the multitudes and start adding the numbers up. That's not discipleship. We live in a society that honors and yields to the majority. As we're going to read, that's not discipleship. Many are called few are chosen. Jesus did not have that issue, didn't get in his way. Look at what he's, in fact, you read what Jesus said, and you're thinking, now, Jesus, that's no way to attract a crowd. Listen to what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? 
or else while the other is still a great way, great way off, he sends a delegation to ask conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you, he's speaking to the multitudes, does not forsake all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Those are tough words, are they not? But listen carefully. Even as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount and the law, how beautiful a thing that is. Jesus, our evaluator. Jesus, the one to whom we must give account. Jesus, the one whom we're devoted, knowing us inside and out. When Jesus is saying these things, what he's saying is you want to know life? You want to know God? You want to know freedom? You want to know joy? You want to know what it means as far as having a relationship with God? It's right here. This is it. You can't circumvent it. Here's what it means to be a learner, a disciple of Jesus Christ. G. Campbell Morgan, a very favorite commentator of mine, said this, quote, yes, Jesus was winsome, but there was another aspect to his ministry as well as winning. He was winnowing. And while he won the crowds, and they were interested and were coming after him, just as crowds do today and are still doing, he turned around, and not this time only superlatively, but constantly, he said things that blew the wind of God across that crowd, thinning out those who wanted to be his followers. He was telling them that there were people who, however much they were interested in him, cannot be my disciples. It's more than interest. The phrase repeated three times in the narrative, does not, cannot. It was easy to be in the crowd and it still is, if Jesus' words are just words. Jesus did not say he might not be my disciple. He did not say he may not be my disciple. He said it very clearly, he cannot be my disciple. G. Campbell Moore continues, I can never read these words without trembling and wondering whether I am a disciple. They're challenging, they're severe, but they are of God who is love. We must take to heart as the starting point in talking about discipleship to understand what it means to be a disciple. Disciples make disciples that make disciples. If I am not a disciple myself, I cannot make disciples of others. It requires that from me. So in Luke chapter 640, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Simple definition of a disciple, a learner. We are learning from the master. We are in the master's school of training. And everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his master. We are being trained. We are being changed to become more like Jesus. So Paul told Timothy, all scripture, given by inspiration of God, it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God's word given to us by his Holy Spirit Led by the Spirit of God, following Jesus, he transforms us and we learn to forsake all. We learn what it means to count the cost. We learn what it means to consider what we're up against. To take those to heart, bring them to God and say, Lord, I'm all in. I want to follow you. In forsaking all after having counted and considered that I cannot be his disciple unless I will do these things. Counting the cost and understanding the conditions and then making the choice on a daily basis. Who does not take up his cross daily and follow me? It's a call to discipleship every day that I wake up. Discipleship is three things. It's relational, it's sacrificial, and it is conditional. It's relational. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother... Wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Here's what discipleship is. It will impact our deepest relationships. Discipleship will impact 
our deepest relationships. Secondly, discipleship will involve a painful death to our own will. I do not, I should say this, my flesh does not like that. Can I hear an amen? I want to say my will, not your will, be done. Jesus said, your will, not my will, be done. That's discipleship. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me, it will require and involve a painful death to our own will. We have to take up our cross. The cross simply means, God, whatever you have for me, I'm surrendered. I'm going. And then third, not only impact our deepest relationships, it's gonna involve a painful death. (laughs) Paul said, I die daily. I live, nevertheless, not I, but Christ lives in me. Involve a painful death to my own will. And third, it will insist on a personal commitment to be all in. Everything in. Move it all in. I'm all in, Lord. Forsaking all. Now, we've come to a place in our studies through the Gospels, thus we took this little detour where now we're going to be seeing, as we go through the chronological studying of Jesus' life through the Gospels, the harmony of the Gospels, come follow me. We've come to a point now where we're going to begin to see Jesus discipling these 12 men. We have a lot to learn. Would you say amen? A lot of practical things. So I'm just asking the Lord, as we go through them, to continue to bring us out. It's relational, it's sacrificial, it's conditional. Here are the things it's going to mean to me, to my will, and to what I need to be doing. So as we learn, I'm looking forward to weekly lessons from the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus in being in the school of, if you will, the school of discipleship with our master in his word. Now, our mission is to make disciples through intentional leadership, relational environments, and reproducible processes. Let me explain a little bit on that. Again, this will be, there's a lot here we can talk about. The first thing he says is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, baptism follows the command to make disciples. Come back to the whole idea. The first step in discipleship is salvation. Baptism follows a repentant sinner. Baptism does not save you. If you were sprinkled as a young baby... You're not saved because of that. Amen. Doesn't save you. I have this to back me up. It's not the washing of the water, the, the baptism. It, it can't wash away your sin. There's only one thing that can wash away your sin, and that's the blood of Jesus. Amen. Baptism is simply that which is declaring to the world of what already happened in my heart. I was born again by the Spirit of God. It follows that repentance and confession of sin and Jesus as master and Lord of your life. It is a command to those who have been saved. So if you're saved, if you've been born again, the question, my next question, have you been baptized? It's part of discipleship. Have you been baptized? Doesn't save you, but it's important. And if you haven't been, then in two Sundays at our picnic, you can be baptized. And I love it. Steel Lake, we'll bring you in there and we'll dunk you. And if necessary, if you feel it's right, we'll hold you under longer just to make sure we got it all done, okay? (laughs) If we start seeing the bubbles come up, we'll know it's probably a little too long. (laughs) You parents, your child wants to get baptized? I'm going to encourage you to come into the water with me or or another pastor and you participate in their baptism. I would also encourage you to go online. We have a little pamphlet that explains baptism, why we baptize, what it is not, what it is. Get that, read that to your child, read it yourself. And I want to exhort you, if need be, encourage you, come out to our picnic and be baptized. It's the funnest thing in the whole world. Now, if you do that, here are two questions I'm going to ask you. Have you believed in, received, and confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Now, if you cannot say yes to that, I'm not going to ask you the second question. 
The second question is, do you desire to be baptized today as a public testimony to your personal commitment to follow and obey Jesus to the best of your ability from this day forward and forevermore? Thank you, Rick. That's where I got this. And if you can, if, if that, then we're going to say then in the name of Jesus, because of God's commandment, we baptize you because of your confession of faith. We baptize you. I remember my baptism when I was 10 years old. Went through the classes. On an Easter evening in a Baptist church, they had the Baptist, baptistry up on the stage, and, you know, I was in there and had a white robe on. I never looked so good in my life. And I had to bring my white handkerchief because the pastor put it on my nose. And down I went, and up I came. So meaningful. Marker right there in Nyack, New York, 10 years old. It's important. And discipleship is in obedience to God, is obeying God's commands. And Jesus said, be baptized. Teaching them to observe all things that I command you. Teaching is, is so central to being disciple, instructed. Jesus said, therefore, my son, Paul said to Peter, to Peter, to Timothy, his disciple, his son in the faith. Therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And the things that you learn from me, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Four generations, handing it down, handing it down. If you read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, you will see the centrality of Paul saying to Peter, to Timothy or Titus, preach the word, be ready in season, out of season. The time's going to come and will not endure sound doctrine. You, you take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, continue in them. And over and over again, what Paul's saying to Timothy, what Paul's saying to Titus, hand it down, hand it down. The things you've heard from me, commit to faithful men, be able to teach others also. You have Paul, second generation, Timothy, Timothy to his, and then those to them. It's a part of discipleship. It's that handing down of truth, handing down of the things that we've learned. As Paul said to, to Timothy, the th- you've been assured of the things that you learned when you were a young child, your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice. They handed down the scriptures to you, Timothy. Now you keep doing the same. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Our mission is to make disciples through intentional leadership. Part of intentional leadership is understanding the necessity of the word of God in what we do when we get together as a church. I don't have to tell you this because I tell you it all the time. We love the word of God. We love to go through the word of God. We need the whole counsel of God. So Paul said, hey, the spirit expressly says in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. It's out there, all over the place. What counteracts that right here? Teach the word of God. Preach the word of God. Stay in the word of God. Our mission is to make disciples through intentional leadership. And part of the intentional leadership is not only the word, but also prayer. And we'll talk about that. Praying together. Making that central to the process of discipleship. Now, we are making disciples of that I am confident. We're committed to prayer in the ministry of the word. Simply teach the word simply. Healthy sheep reproduce. Tremendous truth. The purpose of the church is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying body of Christ. So if the sheep are healthy, what's the natural byproduct? Reproduction. And that's, in a sense, evangelism. Now, I'm not called as an evangelist, but I'm called to evangelize. You may not be called as an evangelist because Paul said in Ephesians, he's given some to be evangelists, places in the body of Christ, offices, if you will, of those called as evangelists, but we're all called to evangelize, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we're committed to these things, but I have this sense, and we have this sense, staff and board and and those that have been involved over the last couple of years, that there's this keen sense that the Holy Spirit has new, if you will, summits for us. Uh, new vistas for us in this area of discipleship. 
to take it to an inten- a more intentional level of seeing more of what God has for us if we will give ourselves intentionally to discipling people. I think we're going to see a lot more transformed lives than we ever have. And I also believe part of that is because the world and our nation is getting so dark. We pray for revival, do we not? Listen, revival takes place one heart at a time. And someone said, in praying for revival, they drew a circle, got inside and said, Lord, start here. Starts with us. And I think a lot of what we need As Paul said to James, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It requires an intentional, in a sense, giving ourselves fervently and effectively to get into it, go for it, all in, in prayer, in the word, and then in my relationships. Say, Lord, I want to see the summit. Now, in order to see that, we got to be a team. There needs to be that unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Paul, in writing the Corinthians, was, was continually correcting them for their divis- divisiveness and, and for their carnality because he says, are you not carnal and behaving as mere men? There's division and strife and envy and all these kinds of things. Lord, help us. Can I hear any man? Lord, help. How is that going to happen? The word of God, prayer, and intentionally giving ourselves to the things that really matter. And those things are people. Real live people whose lives God wants to transform. The movie Everest, I don't know how many of you have seen that. Doug Hansen says in that quote, I'm climbing Mount Everest because I can. Because to be able to climb that high and see that kind of beauty that nobody ever sees, it'd be a crime not to, unquote. Here's what I think. I think it'd be a crime for us not to take God on his word and see what he wants to do. Climb, the climb. Let's join together in in discipleship and in prayer and in outreach. And we are, but I believe God has more for us. Henry Ford said this, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. Isn't that great? Whether you think you can, you're right. Whether you think you can't, you're right. Now, let's put this in the context of our Christianity. Hey, the only reason I can is because God has promised me his Holy Spirit and the power of his Holy Spirit. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's because God, I am his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. He's got a plan for my life and for your life that can summit to heights that we, 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 I don't want to limit the Holy One of Israel, as the psalmist said. So we can only start where we are by using what we have and doing what we can. We can only start where we are by using what we have and by doing what we can. God's not asking from us what he hasn't provided us the resources with which to do it. He's not gonna ask us to do something that he hasn't equipped us to do. So are we being equipped? Are we giving ourselves to the Holy Spirit and to what God wants to do and taking God up at his word through his power to do things exceedingly abundantly above summit all that we ask or think. Our mission is to make disciples through relational environments. A couple of years ago, we made a, our small groups, we call them e-groups, which the reason they're called e-groups is not because they're online. And I've had to sort of explain this on a couple of occasions. <laughs> They're eager because engage, equip, enrich. That's where that comes from. So they're e-groups, and we changed a couple years ago to make those the center of our relational ministry, of our ministry and, and really our relationships. Now, that was hard for me. I grew up in Calvary Chapels. I've been with Calvary Chapels since 1976. We always had a midweek service, always. So 
as we begin praying and talking, and because of the side, our church has grown, and there's a lot of people, it's hard, you come in on a Sunday, and it's probably going to be very hard for you to connect. We're trying to be better about that, but it has its challenges. On a Wednesday night in our midweek service, we'd have 50, 60 people or so, something like that. I, I loved it, teaching the word. Uh, I've said it before, I'm looking at Rick here. We just had a fantastic time as a little team teaching through Hebrews. I mean, it was just really fun. And it was right after that and during that that we started praying and talking about, okay, what, and we read a couple books and realized, you know, if people are gonna really get connected and be discipled, it's not gonna happen like it can happen in small groups. So 50, 60 people on a Wednesday night are e-groups now. Each time we've had them, we've had 200 to 300 people engaged with each other in small community. And it's made a huge difference. I talked to my very close pastor friend, Scott Vincent, who's Calvary Chapel Edmonds. And I said, Scott, I would have done a lot sooner had I known what I know now. We need each other. We need to develop those connections. And the larger we get, the more we need that. So there comes with that this whole idea of relational environment. So the e-groups have become central and the Lord has blessed them in coming together in, in our purposes and relationships. We're a team. I love that. We have a little acronym that we use on staff, been using it for a while. T-E-A-M, great teams trust each other. How do we trust each other? I shared this yesterday at our prayer meeting. We trust each other with the truth. We trust each other with transparency. We trust each other with our testimonies. That's what builds trust. And what the Lord's been doing in our staff, you wouldn't necessarily know that because we love each other. We've been together, many of us, for a long time. But he's building a depth of intimacy and trust and transparency that is absolutely life-changing and exciting. I can tell you personally. And I, what I said to my staff, I am making intentional my own life before you to be transparent with you. Truth, transparency, testimony. Great teams trust each other. If we're going to scale the mountains, we got to trust our team. I can count on you. You got my back. Now, does that mean we're a big, gigantic team? <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to go up the mountain with all of you. <laughs> Kidding. But we get those small groups, and you start to experience that unity and that transparency and that trust. And oh, my, my prayer is it begins to elevate your walk. You're ascending that, those things that you've never thought you could and you're seeing God giving you panoramas, vistas, views of life that you've never seen it before. It's gotta be intentional. Great teams energize each other. Great teams appreciate each other. Great teams maximize each other. Fantastic. Relational environments, and we'll talk much more about this as we continue through our studies. Our mission is to make disciples through reproducible processes. We're rolling out that decline. I don't know if that would be something that you could get involved in, but I would encourage you to do so. I'm really looking forward to going through that with some people. I love equipping the saints. I love teaching the word. But, you know, I don't have all the gifts and neither do you. We need each other. There's a whole desire we have to come together and put together things that will help others get along and then we can hand it off to them. Now you go do it. By sharing with each other, connecting with each other, training each other, releasing each other. So Jesus said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, amen. When, we, when, we, when it's all said and done, there's one person that matters. It's Jesus. And listen, he loves you with a love that is so incredible. Perfect love that will cast out fear. Will you trust him to change your life? Follow him, he will. Follow him, he will. When you arrive, you're gonna realize 
Oh, what God has done. I picture often Revelation where they're casting their crowns before that glassy sea, even as we sang. Unto you be the glory. All that he's done, we'll receive this crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And we're going to cast it before we're going to say, Lord, whatever's happened is because you did it. And you changed and you transformed. And all glory to the one, the lamb on the throne. That's what's going to happen. And so I close with a few thoughts on the all of the commission. I'm with you always. There's an all to this commissioning, this command, this consideration. Number one, it's for all disciples. All disciples. It's the final point of Jesus to his disciples. Go, make, teach, do it. The very purpose of our Christian life is to make disciples. That may be my children. It may be my grandchildren. It may be my students. It may be my workmates. It may be my church family. That's the purpose in bringing glory to God. We've been given an earthly command and a heavenly right. All authority to me, now you go in my name. It's all powerful, it's all prevailing, the Great Commission. And Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, it's not for you to know the times or seasons to his disciples. Say, hey, when, when's, this, when's he coming back? When, when's he going to set up his kingdom? Jesus said to his disciples, it's not for you to know that. That's the Father's authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be witnesses to me, Jesus, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So this whole We've been authorized, we've been enabled, we've been empowered, and it will succeed. That's the good thing about knowing God. You know why? He's going to win every time. What he's planned, he will fulfill. He will do it. question is, will I be a part of that? Will I, in a sense, go along for the ride? I'm all in, Lord. It's all powerful. It's all prevailing. One day, the Savior, the King, the Redeemer will sit on his throne and he will reign for all eternity, forever and ever. And I say, amen. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's not limited by time or space. It's not in our own strength, but in the strength that God gives through his new life in the Holy Spirit. It's all-inclusive. Now, this is where I'd like to just... One particular point I'd like to share with you. It's all inclusive. You shall be witnesses to me, first of all, in Jerusalem. Now, what is Jerusalem to us? It is the immediate vicinity of where we live. Make disciples. Go. Operate. The sphere of influence that's yours, as Paul said. Operate in that immediate vicinity as a disciple maker. All Judea. Now, for me, what this would mean for each of us is that area basically where, sim- where there's similar philosophy, culture, thinking. So it really isn't much of a step. It might be a little more distant, but we still think the same. There's no formidable philosophical boundaries or social boundaries. Samaria, here's where it gets difficult. The Jewish people hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. Samaria, mean, in my mind, can be the most difficult part. It's people that we find very difficult to love. People who are least receptive to our message. I want to say honestly before the Lord, last couple years for me, due to 
my own immediate family, my extended family, and some interactions outside of that. God has brought me to repentance and compassion for the gay community of our, of our, of our nation. I couldn't say that necessarily the way that I can now. It's, there, are, there, are, there are communities that are difficult to know how to reach, or they're scary, or they bring fear. Jesus saw no color. He crossed every social boundary. He had compassion on people because he saw them as sheep with no shepherd, scattered. Anyone who is lost in sin is loved by God. And God wants to reach them with the gospel. God wants to change their lives through the power of the gospel. Uncompromising truth with unconditional love. That he can reach them and they can come to their senses and escape the snares of the devil who's taken them captive to do as well. How does he do that? When I'm intentional, when God breaks my heart, says, do you see him as I see him? The disciples say, Lord, send him away. Oh, I've said that in my heart. I don't know what to do. I don't want to do. He says, no, no, no. You feed them. Well, how are we going to feed them? Well, what do you have? Well, I got five loaves and two fish. Well, bring them to me. So the little lad brings the five loaves, two fish. That's all he had. What does Jesus do? He takes what we have, blesses it, breaks it, and he does miracles in reaching the lives of thousands. And you might say, well, I don't have a whole lot to bring him. Well, what do you have? You see, you can look at it two ways. Like the question was asked, well, what is that among so many? What are these among so many? Now, you can look at that a lot of different ways. What are these among so many? What are these among so many? Or what are these among so many? And I think we need to bring, what are these, Lord? I have little to bring, but what are you going to do with it, Lord? Here it is. Here, do it. Do it. Reach them. And as God puts people, places, things on our hearts, then it's saying, okay, this is all I got, Lord, but I'm all in. All in. To make disciples. The end of the earth is that there's no geographical restriction goes all the way. Wherever you are, wherever I am, is where I'm called to make disciples. I want to give you a little quote from Millard Erickson's book on Christian theology. He says this, quote, if the church is to be faithful to its Lord and bring joy to his heart, it must be engaged in bringing the gospel to all people. This includes people whom we may be, who may by nature tend to dislike, it extends to those who are unlike us, and it goes beyond our immediate sphere of contact and influence. In a very real sense, local evangelism, church extension, or church planting, and world missions are all the same thing. The only difference lies in the length of the radius. The church must work in all of these areas. If it does not, it will become spiritually ill for it will be attempting to function in a way its Lord never intended, unquote. So are you all in? It's a daily all-in question. So the question would be, first of all, what standard are you measuring yourself by? If you're measuring yourself against other people, you are going to have problems being all in. You're going to want to be all like them. Or you're going to be despised. No, our standard is Jesus. He's the one we look to. Second question, what sphere has God appointed you? And this is what I say. You don't have to look very far. There it is. Begins with your marriage. Begins with your family. It begins with, who, what sphere has God given you? He's given it to you. And Paul said, I'm not going to boast in another man's fear. I'm going to boast in mine and the people that God has given me. Second question, what sphere has God appointed to you? Think about your job. Think about your family. Think about your marriage. Think about your children. And of course, you've got to think about your grandchildren. 
your friends. And the final question is, whose approval are you seeking? If you're going to be a disciple maker, if you're going to go and preach the God, the only approval that you need is Jesus's. Paul said, I'm not looking to anybody else. I read Paul's letters and I think, Lord, would you help me to be like him? It's as though Paul would say to me, no, 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 you want to be like Jesus. Because he went the, the, the distance. So fresh this morning, I want to challenge you in your own personal, individual sphere of influence to go and make disciples. I want to challenge you to be equipped further than you have been. Maybe it's the climb. You sign up for that. Maybe it's an e-group. You sign up for that. Maybe the Lord's put some passion on your heart and you need to lead an e-group. Do it. Do it. We benefit. We grow. Maybe it's in some relationship you already have at work. And maybe you're just going to say, maybe invite someone, hey, do you, can we go through a book of the Bible together? You said you were interested? Let's do it. There are men's prayer groups, a couple of them now that meet early One's been meeting for years. You men want to get connected to some other men, want to learn to pray together. Maybe you're going to start a Bible study at your lunch hour. Maybe you're going to meet with some group in your house. We have a couple women that have been coming here for a long time, and they met with their daughters and their friends for years just doing Bible studies, transformed or protected and kept them from what might have happened. Maybe you need to teach in our children's ministry. <laughs> Wednesday night, I taught in our surf club. Now, I, do ne I never teach children, except my own. But you can't quite teach them the same way you teach your own, you know what I mean? Anyway, so I had to start out a fifth grade class, and so I was going through the whole story of the road to Damascus, and they're in Damascus, and they let Paul down the rope, in the, over the wall. Fifth grade was okay. Then I got the kindergarten through second grade. <laughs> so I put all the chairs around, made the wall, and we sat down in the chairs, and I told them all the story, and we talked about friendship and help and all that stuff. And then we had a basket and put a basket in there trying to drag the basket, and it was quite fun. And each one I'd say, now, do you know who I am? And they would usually, someone would know. <laughs> and then we got the third and fourth graders and did the same thing, got the wall, and was sitting there teaching them the, the story. I said, do you know who I am? He said, oh, yeah, we know who you are. I said, really? Yeah, you're Pastor Paul. <laughs> I said, I probably need to get into the children's ministry a little more. <laughs> Listen, we will never scale the heights of God's blessings in our lives until we're all in. 100%. He's got more for us. And it's in making disciples. Amen? So if we can have the worship team and thankful for our new worship team, but would you stand? Let's close in, in worship in a song. Or worship and prayer, I'm sorry. Worship is the song. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your word and we're thankful for the stirrings of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of your word, and the love of the saints. Thankful, Lord, for what you've done here at Calvary Chapel South. But Lord, my greatest fear is that we grow old and die. And so, Lord, don't let that happen, we pray. I ask, Lord, that you continue to, by your Holy Spirit, lead us to greater heights, a greater openness. Challenge us, I pray. Cause our church, Lord, this body of believers, just a small little segment of your body, but here we are, that we would be disciple makers. We'd be a, a growing house of prayer. Our outreach, Lord, our gospel shoes, our gospel message would be multiplying out. And we're praying, Lord, we'd see those that are dead in trespasses and sins coming here and getting saved. We pray we'd see those that are infant Christians growing into those young adults and then adults. And then, Lord, we see the equipping going on and the training. And, Lord, whatever you have for us, we're wide open. And, Lord, I'm confident 
that by your spirit and through the word being central to what we're doing in our prayers, you will do what you want to do. You will accomplish what you want to accomplish. And it won't be weird. It won't be outside of things that are decent and in order. So Lord, we're wide open. Lead us by your spirit. Guide us by your spirit. Direct us by your spirit. And cause us to be exceedingly, abundantly fruitful. For your sake and your glory and your kingdom. Let's worship.